I think I've been rather angry for the last week or so. Is that is that just your default response? You, you want to punch something and uh, and that's not possible. Well, you know, at least not legally. <laughs> Let's say at least it's not advisable. It's probably possible. So what are we going to do? Are we going to are we going to go over the pick the bones out of this one? The game United played very well against Sunderland. I thought it was an excellent performance under the circumstances. It should have been more clinical in front of goal, but it it was all about that moment, wasn't it? Yeah, we can talk about the game. I mean, United were were okay, did what needed to be done just about. There were certainly some nervy moments near the end, weren't there? Hung on, managed to get the result, but yeah, in truth, as we said last week, all eyes were really on Eastlands because that was the, the one that really counted. And, and for 94 and a half minutes, it almost looked like United might pull off a miracle and win the title. Almost. <laughs> it was It was just ridiculous. I mean, the first, after United scored, there was like a little period where we were top of the league for a bit. It was quite exciting and sort of fun, but with a sense of, you know, oh, this is all very well and good, but City are going to score in a minute and then that'll be it. And City scored and that was it. Except, of course, that it wasn't. There was a cruel sting in the tail and the fat lady, having warmed up her pipes, had to put her music stand to one side and take a little breather as QPR, first of all, equalised, then went down to 10 men then got themselves in front in what can only be described as a cruel twist of fate and then because of Joey Barton's idiocy while he was getting himself off the pitch there were five minutes of added time wherein once that first goal that first City goal went in it really felt like it was just about to happen I got up and walked away at that point because I just couldn't watch really doom (laughs) I I was watching two games at the same time United on the big screen and and City on the computer at the same time and it was that period for about half an hour I thought after QPR went 2-1 up it was the worst bit because I'd resigned myself to to not winning the title I thought once we'd lost to Eastlands that was it it was done couldn't see a way that QPR would get anything out of that game and and we had a difficult game and all of that but but 28 minutes it was between QPR going 2-1 up and uh, City winning it with almost the last kick of the game and and they were the worst 28 minutes of the season because they went very very slowly my mum has this thing where she watches football where time just speeds up for her like she can't believe that the time has gone when it gets to full time she's like that's impossible it can't possibly have been two hours but this was the exact opposite there's a scene in Yellow Submarine the animated Beatles film where there's a thing that flashes up on the screen that says time time can be misleading a minute can last a lifetime and then they they flash the numbers 1 through 60 on the screen each of them for one second with a different bit of art on each number. If you watch that in the correct state of mind it takes a really long time to get through and previously in my life that had been the longest minute of my life but clearly all those minutes again in that QPR game that they were the longest minutes that have ever happened to a United fan. Yep and that's that's about right I think and I mean QPR played so well for so long I mean sure they parked the bus didn't they and they defended in, in their huge numbers and City were wasteful and City he had something like 40-something shots, didn't they, in the game? They did. An, an incredible amount. And, and QPR played with 11 men behind the ball and then 10 men behind the ball for, for almost all of the game. And, but they threw everything at it. They they fought for every single challenge. Obviously, they, they were fighting for their own survival and their paychecks. I mean, they're, they're all on contracts that would have been halved. Uh, but there was a the pivotal moment in the game. Uh, it wasn't Jerry Barton sending off. It was uh, when Stoke equalised against Bolton. And the QPR bench found out, and they all went up like they'd scored a goal. Yeah, and, and uh, that was communicated to the players, and they all switched off. 
and City scored twice. And you really can't blame QPR for that because the amount of energy and effort and determination they had put in to get themselves in the position they were, you know, they they worked themselves, they worked every little bit of themselves out. Oh, you can you know? blame QPR. I'm blaming QPR. It's it's QPR's fault we didn't win the <laughs> Premier League title. Absolutely nothing to do with throwing away two goals against Everton or or playing 87 defenders at, at Eastlands or or uh, Fergie dropping Evans and Rooney for the game against Blackburn or the utter casualness at Newcastle or any of the other times that we've thrown away points or been beaten when we shouldn't have been no I'm blaming QPR and I'm hoping they go down with no points next season QPR of course finishing the season on 37 points uh, and that was enough to keep them up which means that if we had only got the points difference between us and Liverpool we'd have stayed up so that's something I was left with the overwhelming feeling of pride in United's achievements this season, which I know we, we didn't win anything, disastrous in Europe, uh, awful in all the cup competitions, and threw away an eight-point clear lead with a much easier run-in than City in the league. So it's weird to, to just be like, oh man, they gave it they gave it a good effort. But you know, I was, I've been thinking a lot about it. I've been thinking about, a lot about the points thrown away, and there's two things that I'd like to say about them. One, every single point we should have won and have won this season you can pin on the situation with our midfield I don't think that's an overstatement I think if you look at all the games you just mentioned uh, key battles in central midfield lost I mean in the Blackburn at home game uh, this is the famous Raphael and Park central midfield partnership so that's one thing I wanted to say but the other thing is you know it's okay to take that Everton game in isolation or it's okay to take the you know the Wigan game in isolation but one of the reasons that we didn't win those games is because of the toll that the rest of the season had taken out of our players I think you know whether in terms of the energy that Skulls had lost by the by the end of the season or whether in, in terms of the injuries that uh, kept key players out you know we put in phenomenal amount of effort to get eight points clear and it's really really unfortunate that we stuffed it up but you know ultimately I think City City were deserving champions you know not not the concept of City, the whole billionaire investment nonsense, but just the players they had and the efforts they put in. I think they warranted a championship, and and the fact that they dug in and won it in with the last kick of the game. You know, we we've given out some of those over the years, including one particularly staggering one. Yep, a few against City in recent years too. <laughs> yeah, although perhaps not on this scale, but you know, I think this basically equates to what happened against Munich. That it's it was a very similar thing and we were on one end of it there and the other end of it here and it's it's painful to be on the wrong end of it but it's football right of course it's football yeah and um, I mean I actually don't subscribe to the theory that uh, the best team always wins the league I mean it's, it's such a cliche and I don't think anyone actually thinks about it when they say it but having said that City have played the best football this season I, I think that's fair to say they've scored more goals they've led in less goals and they've suffered uh, like us with missing players at times uh, it's pretty key when Yaya Torre disappeared to the African Cup of Nations and just as our injury problems for many months were, were key and, and these all these things all make up a season don't they all the little details and and in the end it's hard to begrudge them that just on, in terms of you know what the team achieved and of course you know as I said when, when doing the, the chat this week on, on goal with the City fans and uh, it's not football it's not sport it's fantasy football uh, because they have sovereign wealth and um, they feel like they can spend whatever they want and the general feeling in football at the moment is that they are going to stick two fingers up at Michel Platini and make no effort to comply with financial fair play and see what happens and 
And um, if, if if that sport, I, you know, I'm not sure I want a whole lot of part of that. So so in that sense, I, I agree with you. There's there's a lot, lot to be proud of with what United have done at times. We've played very good football. Not very frequently, got to say. Uh, got a hell of a load of points uh, I don't think this is the best United side uh, Ferguson's had by some stretch so in that sense it's an achievement to get that many points I think quite a bit of it's to do with the poor quality of the league um, but given that £500 million pounds have been sucked out of the, the club uh, over the last six years and uh, about the same amount has been poured into City in new transfers then it's quite remarkable that the two clubs are on an even plane yeah absolutely and it came down to these incredibly fine margins and um, one, one thing that happened on the last day of the season which you know probably says more about the limitations of my character than anything else was that I suddenly became massively more optimistic about next season I had that question last week about whether United were more likely to win the league next season or drop out of the Champions League places and I was just looking at it and thinking however much Chelsea spend in the summer they're either going to be managed by Di Matteo or another new manager and they finished so very very many points behind us this season and they've got such huge holes in their squad and City are going to be in competition for the very best of players you know if they're trying to really really get superstar filled team you know it, it would take a level of investment almost on the scale of the first lot of investment of Abramovich to get them back up and running I think Yes, yes, I mean, they, but, but there are signs that Abramovich will do that, of course. I mean, if they're seriously looking at the Battersea project, that's going to cost them a billion. Yeah. So chucking a couple hundred quid at the team to make sure that they have a team good enough to fill that yeah. is, is no great shakes. I, I, think, I think they're looking at that. And I think, as I said, I think the word has gone round that City are, are going to challenge financial fair play. And, and if City do, so will Chelsea. Well, then you, you also have to get a manager that can run it all. Um, Liverpool are obviously... I was listening to our first episode of the Rankcast, our season preview. Uh, this morning to see what we said was going to happen we talked a lot about Liverpool and their relative strength and ability to compete for a top four place this season just seems hilarious now we, we didn't agree that they would did we I don't think so no oh my god they called Kenny <laughs> He should he should have gone after the Suarez affair. I have no sympathy for the man I, at all. I, I have to I have to say I'm sure that one of the reasons he's gone is the Suarez affair. Actually, we're definitely digressing here, but a Fox Sports Group have had uh, no worries about axing senior staff have they this season so the director of communications has gone quite rightly uh, the director of football has gone after wasting a hundred odd million pounds uh, that left a focus well a director of football has gone the sporting director as well and that has left the uh, club and the pressure all on Kenny who you know, very stupidly after Camoli went claimed that oh no they're all his decisions to buy oh okay he, right you want to write out your own P45 here and of course he was very culpable during the Suarez affair too so yeah I mean there was massive focus and they failed on the pitch so what do you expect no great surprise no I think I think the combination of his uh, you know I really I really do think you know people are putting it down to their league position but I think if he'd been more gracious throughout the season not just the Suarez affair actually but his whole public persona throughout this campaign it's just it just doesn't fit with the model of you know uh, uh, the Red Sox you know if you think about the fact that they're owned by the Red Sox basically you know the same people that own the Red Sox it, it just doesn't have the right image does it so we're talking about United's next season I don't think I think okay Arsenal could definitely strengthen significantly and be much more of a factor next season but th- th- that's a big if and they've got a lot to prove 
that that Wenger can build a team that will genuinely challenge again. And there's a big chance that they're going to lose Van Persie. So, I mean, for for all the paper uh, stories that you'll see coming up in the next few weeks about uh, Van Persie being forced to run down his contract, you'll see them, of course, because they said this last year. They won't. They'll accept the money. They're, they're financial realists at Arsenal, and, and Van Persie will be sold. And he'll probably go to the highest bidder, which probably means City, but uh, unless Arsenal try and force him abroad, of course. So it looks like, for a while, Arsenal were being very sensible in the transfer market and they bring Podolski in he's got a very good record at international level average record at club led level and looks like their favourites from Via I don't think it's been signed or sealed or anything like that but it looks like Austin want him and that would bolster their midfield you know however good you think he is and, and so maybe they're on an upward growth curve but they're still a long way behind United and City and then the you're then talking about City I mean oh Spurs I guess I think it's very unlikely that Spurs are going to significantly invest that they spent a lot of money I'm sure they'll buy some players but they're not going to be I don't think Tottenham are going to be considerably stronger next season than they were this season no, and, and their main challenge is to keep hold of Bale and Modric, surely. Yeah, absolutely. What the situation with Adebayor will be and, you know, all that stuff. It's all a bit unclear at Spurs, the future and Harry and how well he copes with, you know, the, the catastrophic end of the season that they've had. And, of course, whether they get into the Champions League or not, whether, you know, Munich win on Saturday. So Spurs is very, very unlikely to... So I, basically, I think that we're extremely unlikely to drop out of the Champions League places because there will be some investment in United's playing squad this season and the people that are going to leave are not going to make the team worse. I mean, City will strengthen again. There's no doubt about that, right? Of course. No doubt at all. There's two things I want to say about that. Again, one, that doesn't necessarily mean they'll be better. You know, because a better team is not always built out of just piling more and more good players into the same team. And secondly, Mancini won this by the skin of his teeth and he will keep the job. No no question about that. But but he really, really won it by the skin of his teeth. Yeah, well, he's he's keeping the job because Jose is staying in Madrid for another year. Yeah. And and yes, he won it by the skin of his teeth, but uh, it's a year of the team gelling. Uh, they don't have the African Cup of Nations next winter. They probably won't wobble in the same way they did. So I think they'll be stronger. And, and if they bring in Azard, which looks highly likely now, they've, they've got a, an outstanding creative player who will probably play in the hole and Aguero to play up front on his own. And they can get rid of Tevez, who's a disruptive influence. They'll probably get rid of Zeko, who hasn't performed. They may well get rid of Balotelli, who's been a disruptive influence. And, and they'll spend replacing those players but uh, it's hard to envisage them replacing them with worse players so um, I, I don't see City going backwards the age profile of their squad's very very good as well so there, there's lots of lots of positives there they would have to really screw it up in the summer to have a worse season next year um, I said in the season preview I can't see City winning we both predicted United to win the league uh, you said by I think four or five points I said by six six points was the number that I was I was going for so we were obviously wrong about that although it did almost happen I said it did, it did almost happen well not the five points well it, of course it would have been if we'd managed to win at Wigan which we had the previous 14 times in a row and and managed to hold on to a 2-0 win uh, against Everton for 10 minutes then yeah it would have happened 4-2 win but yeah I said I don't see City winning the league under Mancini and what I was talking about was his reluctance to gamble his, reluct- his, his defensive mentality but he has actually done a fantastic job of shedding that this season you know he's gone for it when he's needed to go for it in a way that he didn't the season before because the whole focus was on getting into the Champions League he wasn't really trying to win anything the season before he was just trying to make sure he could get in the Champions League then he could 
you know, bring in the quality of player that would enable them to challenge for the title, and that's exactly what's happened. Yeah, and they play some very expansive football this season. I mean, there's plenty of games when they, I mean, they've averaged over three goals a game at, at home, haven't they? And it, the away record was a problem for a while. They sorted that one out just in time, and I, I suspect they'll be strong again next season. I mean, I, of course they're going to be very strong. I mean, and, and that's the benchmark around 90 points is what it's going to take, and, and that's what United have to aim for. I don't think the noise coming out of Old Trafford are quite right at the moment in terms of putting together a team that will do that but but uh, I guess that's the challenge for the months ahead there was there was a goosebump moment for me in the United's awards ceremony which my goodness that thing's interminable but there was there was one heck of a moment when Sir Alex somewhat under the influence gave a really really electrifying speech about him being a winner and about how uh, when we'd lost the league to Leeds United and Liverpool fans were getting player signatures and then ripping them up and Fergie said remember that lads remember that when you know and he was saying about the Sunderland fans you know jeering jeering the United youngsters remember that remember what that felt like and so you know that that was kind of exciting because that, that, that kind of Fergie Fergie's going to be hungrier and all that stuff you know which I think is is real but he's getting so much older now you know if if he was five years younger I would not have any worries whatsoever about him rising to the challenge and seeing off City just like he has every other time that his crown's been threatened um but I, I just I think it's it's different this time but that was really exciting to see and and for me the whole thing the whole of next season rests on what he does about the central midfield yeah completely completely and I, I'm not sure United are going to fix it in the right way I have to say and uh, that might sound a bit negative but I'd, I'd be really really surprised if we do I actually think that they'll go into next season with uh, hopes resting on uh, skulls managing to last a campaign which clearly isn't going to happen I mean he tired quite badly after 16 games so imagining that he's going to play 50 next season is, is just not going to happen and and so they're going to go in with the same strategic problem Anderson Cleverly Fletcher all have to stay fit and it seems quite unlikely that that's going to happen given history well I don't think they're expecting Fletcher to play a part whatever they're saying I, I, I think it's really unlikely that that Fletcher's going to play any part at all next season or anything more than a bit part and Fergie's not stupid he he's seen what's happened to Skulls he he knows what's going to happen the idea that he's pinning hopes on I mean cleverly actually I, I think it's reasonable to expect him to stay fit or at least it's a reasonable hope that he will Anderson obviously is just ridiculous too so we're 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 in more dire need in that position than we've ever been before well maybe not ever but we've been talking about the the problems in central midfield for several years now and this is the worst it's ever been this is the most desperate it's ever been yeah i i think i actually think one of the problems is we have a lot of players there and uh, it doesn't feel like it sometimes does it but but realistically who's he used in central midfield this season skulls carrick anderson cleverly fletcher when he was fit gigs Park. That's an awful lot, and he you know, he would have to make some big calls about some big players there in order to shed the the number of players in that position in order to spend money on bringing someone else in. I, I, I'm not sure that he's prepared to do it. I, I mean, it would mean dumping Anderson, and that's five years of Ferguson saying he's the next Skulls. It'd mean dumping Park, who's a favourite of his, and I think he'd be very reluctant to do that. Skulls and Giggs have already signed new contracts. Uh, he's he's backing cleverly to the hilt. Uh, Fletcher, they can't dump 
because uh, of uh, all these problems. I mean, you prob- you, you're right, he probably won't be part of the squad, but we'll see. And, and so, and, and Carrick's had the best season for three years. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they're going to make any change there. And I think the player they bring in is going to be of a more attacking, either wide or centrally attacking. And, and that's why they're looking at Kagawa. It's why they're looking at Hazard, only in hope that somehow he decides to choose United over the money, which uh, doesn't normally prove to be a winning formula. And, and so I think that's what they'll do. And I think they'll go with the same central midfield. And the, the real change might be in, in how they deploy Rooney. And Rooney might turn back into a central striker and they'll concentrate on scoring goals again. And he'll probably get bags of them. And they'll try and bring in that player who plays in the hole. It'd be, it'd be very interesting to see. But I guess we'll, by the time we reconvene after the Heroes and do the season preview rant cast for next season, we'll have a, a, a long discussion about how all this is going to shake out we'll have a slightly more celebratory second half of the show we'll look back on some of the the more exciting highlight type moments of the season but before we do that let's get really depressed ed q3 results are out go <laughs> yeah actually q3 is normally quite dull and and this proved to be the case there's nothing massively surprising in in these so if you uh, look at year-on-year figures there's a a growth in commercial revenue and a lot of that's to do with the dhl deal coming in Uh, there's there's a a very small growth in media income a slight dip in match day income that was to do with the amount of games relative to the previous financial year and uh, i suppose the headline figure that everyone is looking for is uh, how much interest has been paid financial year to date so that's nine months we're talking about 42 and a half million pounds plus uh, about 28 million pounds for the bond buyback in that time period as well so 71 million spent on debt related costs um, over the nine months of the year to date uh, interesting that uh, the Glazers actually paid a two and a bit million pound premium to buy back those bonds and on the price that was set to sell them so yeah that's Glazernomics for you buy back debt at a more expensive rate than you sold it uh, so that's Q3 really nothing really exciting it's it's uh, it's more of the same it's more of a huge amount of money disappearing out of the club at lots more than we ever spend on players like a central midfielder yeah it's it's really upsetting why would they buy back debt more expensive than they sold it because the way bonds work, they're like a fancy IOU note, but they move up and down in the market in the same way a share might when people buy or sell them. So they've, uh, they've actually risen in value. You can buy them on the open market. Uh, I should say also, uh, they haven't. this isn't like paying back a loan. So they bought the, the IOU notes back, uh, but they haven't retired them. So they can be sold back to the market at any point. So they sit there and control it. And then if they can make some money out of selling it, they sell it? They could do, in theory. I mean, it's, it's like a very flexible way of getting new money if they needed it. It's a contingency plan. So in any case, I mean, they have not retired it. Doesn't mean they will will exercise the right to sell it. Doesn't mean they won't either. I mean, I guess uh, everyone's waiting for the long-famed IPO to come along and it might be the autumn. It might not. We haven't seen the prospectus yet, so it's certainly not in any time in the next six weeks. Um, it might well be the autumn if they think the markets have calmed down by then. Uh, they might not have done, of course, because uh, the Eurozone is pretty volatile at the moment if you've been watching the news. At Nico01 says, can we discuss in a bit more in-depth what an IPO will mean to the club in the short and the long term and whether or not it's a smart move by the Glazers? 
sense. So I, I'm going to give you my potted understanding of what it means, which you can then fill in the gaps. They're going to sell a chunk of the club, not the whole club, but a chunk of the club, and they're going to sell it on the a market in the Far East in order to generate capital, and but, but without reducing too much of their control of United, because they're going to sell it whereby two shares buy you, buys you the effective voting rights of one share. And the reason for doing this is to pay down some of the debt by generating some capital. Is that right? Yeah, that's, that's broadly right, yeah. Dual share structure, so they'll have A and B preference shares. It's not uncommon. Uh, it's generally frowned upon in Europe. Uh, Google, for example, is listed in this way. So it's it's, it's not uh, out the realms of the norm, generally frowned upon here. It also means that you have to offer an attractive dividend because if people aren't going to, investors aren't going to have any say over the control and running of the club because they don't have any voting rights, uh, they certainly will only be buying it to make money. So uh, is it a good thing for United? Well, in theory, if they raise a significant chunk of money and can buy back all the bonds, United could be largely debt-free. Uh, certainly, investors would expect that because they expect a bigger pile of cash with which to pay dividends. doesn't mean United will be totally debt-free. There's, I very much doubt there'll be anything in the prospectus that says that, and Glazers do tend to run their businesses with leverage. So there's that. Uh, the questions are then, if United are more debt-free, how much tax will United be paying? Because, of course, they, they get a tax benefit from being in debt effectively because it reduces the profitability of the club how much dividend will they have to pay to the shareholders what's the premium going to be uh, how much can they actually ipo for and uh, this dual share structure didn't prove attractive last time they floated it around the market floating the loose sense of the word there so will will they oversubscribe on the on the ipo will they get the pop they want out of the the share value and and all of that so a lot of questions uh, in theory uh, it, it's a sense it's a good move for the glazer family because uh, they potentially get to use the club to pay back as much debt as possible pay back whatever debt they've got themselves and um, i should say as well they'll be selling their shares so it doesn't guarantee at all that they go and use that money to buy back it there's there's absolutely no uh, legal reason why they would have to at all it's just they'll probably they'll probably be expected to by investors to be part of the prospectus so a lot, a lot of question marks basically is a summation of that uh, it's, it's interesting stuff and and you know it will make a big difference to our future okay so i think we can all agree that the glazers have been terrible for manchester united and that glazernomics has meant that we're competing we're punching way below our weight there is one positive side effect of glazernomics and that was the what the i asked listeners today for their awards in various different categories of their own choosing and at tim o'bevan says best second coming sir paul skulls now the moment that skulls came back to United, filled with questions. But one person for whom it was just a sheer moment of joy is uh, one of the Rankcast's longest-term supporters, uh, our friend Awate. I spoke to him about the return of Paul Skulls. Clearly the most extraordinary single moment of this season was just before the Manchester City game. Uh, even though he's on the phone outside the recording studio right now, we have to talk to Oate about the return of Paul Scholes. How did you feel at that exact moment in time and how do you think his season went? I found out about it maybe 15 to 30 minutes later than everyone else because I was avoiding all phone contact and I was walking down to my mate's house to watch the match and uh, logged on to Twitter on the way, saw that he was returning, saw he was on the bench and just, it was a mix, 
because of a mixture of uh, windiness and cold and the fact that skulls was returning, I think a few tears did did, uh, did fall from my eyes uh, when I was uh, walking to my mates. And I was, you know, no words can really explain it. It's just so, so much love there between me and someone I don't know just because of this sport called football, you know. It's an incredible thing. And you were there when he hung up his boot. I, I guess yeah. you never thought you'd see him again in the United shirt, right? Never. And I'd be watching all every single reserve match during half time and before the matches you could see him giving the, the players the reserve players a little talk to and during one half time he actually done kick ups across the whole side of the pitch and I was just clapping like while watching the stream just going oh my god he can still do it he's doing kick up but you know it's, it's I never thought I'd see him again and we have for six months and we will for another year so I'm, I'm just whatever it says about Glazenomics and you know the the bunch of evil uh, expletives we have running us uh, you know Paul Scholes is back and he for me is the greatest player of all time so it won't do any harm so what's your number one Paul Scholes moment of the season then every goal Skulls 22 can actually tackle which is quite amazing Skulls 18 couldn't tackle for you know he could I mean it was a big mis- misconception but since he's come back his tackling has improved you know it was a big misconception that he couldn't tackle at all uh, but his game wasn't based on that by the way you, you never see anyone saying oh Messi can't tackle you know he, he, Paul Skulls was an attacking midfielder he didn't have to tackle Roy Keane done it for him but he, he, he can tackle now and that's amazing Definitely, definitely check out Elements, which drops today. Today! You can get new music from Oate. Very exciting stuff. So, Ed, Paul Scholes, uh, how's that been for you? Well, it, it was, it's been great to see a legend return to the club. An overused word, of course, but not in Paul Scholes' case. And, and for many of the 16 games he's played, he's been absolutely outstanding. He's, all the stats are great, pass completion ratios and all that. He's dovetailed with Carrick wonderfully well. He's brought the best out in Carrick, of course. And it was the the right move at the right time. I mean, one that I pretty much thought was an act of desperation. It was, but it's an act of desperation that worked, largely speaking. Um, he hasn't been great in the last few weeks. He wasn't very good at the Etihad he wasn't very good against Everton he wasn't very good against Sunderland really and I thought he looked a lot tighter uh, than he had done three months ago when he came back and I guess that's what you get with a 38 year old isn't it and, and so it's been wonderful I don't see it as any kind of long term solution uh, and, and next season I think we'll get much more of, of what we had before so. you just can't resist can you you've got you've to end it on a downer it's like oh it's not a downer it's realism it's been great to have him back but it was a short term measure that's turning into a much longer term I guess that's a reasonable point to make at this juncture it's just it's just a shame because I, I of course you're right and and as as glad as I am that he'll still be in the playing staff I hope I really hope they're taking seriously the idea of him playing 25 games next season not all the games that exist next season because you, you're right he did look really tired by the end of the season but for that period where he was imperious it was absolutely vital to United's success on the pitch this season the fact that we got so close to the title was in no small measure down to the fact that Skulls came back because Skulls and Carrick became the absolutely indispensable literally indispensable midfield partnership for United as soon as it wasn't the two of them it was disaster Yes, yes. Um, I mean, it also precipitated a change in United's playing style. I mean, uh, I mean, I guess that happened before then. It really, the change happened after United got spanked by City in the game we dare not speak about. But, I mean, started the season in a very open, flowing, one-touch, pass-and-move style. End of the season, attempting to retain possession as much as possible. Very, very different, and a lot of that has to do with Paul goals. It's inconceivable that United would have got as many points without Paul goals because we'd have been giving the ball away while trying to play a possession game. Ha <laughs> 
not a good combination, is it? At RSPLMUFC says, for him, best value for money this season, Scalzi's boots from Sports Direct. Apparently he just walked in with a, with an old pair of boots around his neck when he when he wanted to come back into the club. One of those one of those stories that will go down in legends. It's time to start talking about the big categories for our Rantcast End of Season Awards. And before we do that, I think we should look back on the season preview and see how we did. As, as we said, we both predicted United to win. Uh, your top four in predictions was, was as you put on the blog and, and you can see that last season you got an awful lot of predictions right. This season, mm, not so good from you, was it? <laughs> <laughs> not, so, not, not so good. No, quite, quite a lot of near misses in my defence. But yeah, four out of 29 predictions. Correct, yeah. Not that's uh, that's Dalgleish territory. I think uh, I might sack myself after that one. But I like I like the fact that some of your more outrageous predictions, some of the I don't know, some of the predictions which are almost harder predict you got spot on, like the winners of the Europa League and the uh, Player of the Season in the Premier League. I thought that was that was kind of interesting that that happened. But we also did some predictions on the show. One of the things I said was how many goals will Anderson score this season? And this was in the the glow of the the post Charity Shield glow where we both were like excited about Anderson and. Cleverly, and how it seemed to be working. And you went for six goals from Anderson, and I suggested it might be more than six goals from Anderson. It was, of course, one. Well done, Ando. Uh, unlucky there. Uh, the other, the other thing in terms of our central midfield, I asked you the question: Will uh, us looking back at the end of the season, will we say that Michael Carrick has had a good season or not? And you said, no, I think that this will be it for Carrick, and by the end of this season, he'll probably be on his way. So much for predicting things. Um, but interesting though that he really didn't play until November. Fergie agreed with me. Of course, we know that Fergie listened, so so maybe that's why Carrick didn't play until November. Clearly, uh, but then actually, Carrick's a pretty good shout for our Player of the Year. And I believe he is United Rant, the website's official Player of the Year, right? Yeah, well, that's that's what I put. Yeah, not everyone agreed with me. <laughs> oh, really? Really? Uh, but yeah, I thought over the piece, given given all the problems with midfield, yeah, I think if he hadn't performed so well, uh, we would have got absolutely nowhere near. And of course, I think I put four or five players on eight points, and Carrick on nine, and and yeah, big shout outs obviously to Valencia and Evans and Rooney, who scored thirty four goals this season without really excelling, and of course goals. Um, my my player of the season would have to be Carrick as well, I think, because he's the one with the longest period of consistent performance under his belt out of all of them. And that's not the whole season. We don't have a player of the season this this year. We have player of patches of the season. I think Nanny and Cleverly were the, the player of the first couple of months of the season, or first month or so. Then it's, it's very difficult. Nobody really played well in until Carrick emerged onto the scene. Then there's a period of the season where De Gea was clearly our best player for a, a period of time. And then Valencia absolutely exploded into form on his return from injury uh, but then even he dipped very slightly at the very end of the season and I guess Rooney is probably our player of the latter part of the season but but overall Carrick's the one really Carrick made the most difference the most times oh Johnny Evans as well absolutely huge shout for Johnny Evans this season the interesting thing about Evans is that it almost felt like he was always filling in for someone. So Rio was injured in the early part of the season and then of course Nemanja from December onwards. But he's played a huge amount of games and been extremely consistent and, and uh, he solved a lot of the problems that he'd had before where he, where he was exposed by physical players. Uh, he's not without a mistake still, but this is a massive step up in terms of quality from him. Unfortunately, when Ferguson said he was the best defender in the country, he had that game against Everton where he was at least partially 
at fault for three of the goals and so are a lot of the other members of the back four but but he certainly made mistakes in three of those goals but but a huge season from him and, and it's a massive bonus for United going forward that Evans has made that step up at the same time as as Phil Jones and and Chris Smalling haven't had the best of seasons either of them a lot of it affected by injury and burnout in Jones's case and and uh, also being shifted around yeah, no absolutely we one of the other things uh, we went for a prediction for in the season preview was how many appearances between them will Ravel and Pogba make in the first team and we said you said four would be the number between them and I, I agreed with that or I said it might even be less than four it was in fact nine uh, nine substitute appearances seven for Pogba two Carling Cup substitute appearances for Ravel I would say that, that a lot of those uh, substitute appearances for Pogba were the uh, Ferguson's attempt to try and curry favour with a player I mean maybe I'm just being a cynic there but you know I think I think four is probably about right but I right. think one thing that's sort of sad about this season is that we're probably not going to be talking about Ravel Morrison or Paul Pogba in the season preview next season are we no I mean Pogba's not been cleared up he's playing in the United Reserve side that plays the uh, Manchester City elite development squad in the Manchester Senior Cup final Thursday night and so uh, interesting you know Pogba's alarm goes off what does this mean is he staying is he going he's playing in the reserves and but he, he didn't feature in any of the the games uh, in the first team at the end of the season because he was injured and wouldn't play again for the rest of the season so Ferguson told it's us it's all very mysterious at Dylan MUFC 14 says his choice for song of the season talking of Pogba easily my rendition of should I stay or should I go well thank you you're too kind you're too kind that will be the financial arrangement again <laughs> clearly at Mark underscore put says any chance you could give me a shout out on the pod he's running the great Manchester run for the Christie so if you go to justgiving.com slash Mark that's M-A-R-K-P-U-D and uh, you know if you feel like a uh, Sponsoring a, a long-time Rankcast listener who's running the Great Manchester Run. Absolutely the very best of luck from both me and Ed. Yeah, definitely. Also, the whole FC United squad are running the Great Manchester Run for various charities as well, I noticed. Now, you know, not that we cover a lot of FC United on this pod, but they, they, they since I'm digressing, they had a very good season. Just lost that in the, in the playoff final, so didn't get promoted to the Blue Square Bet North. Uh, so they'll, they'll still be in the division below that, so effectively sort of Division 7. But... They, but they had a very very good season and and best of luck to them still raising money for their new stadium yeah absolutely I I, I don't know I I know a lot of United fans who really don't like FC United and I sort of understand it but I'm I'm definitely not one of them you know I, I, I have a lot of sympathy for what they did and and the reasons why they did it they're doing it the right way they're 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 not getting themselves into debts they're they're a club that works entirely for the fans i mean there's been some very unsavory episodes this year when their matches have been moved around and and they've stood up and and backed the fans and just exactly the opposite of everything united does so and there's there's lots to admire about that club i think and i can understand why people because somehow they i think they see them as you know they they uh, they gave up on united and of course a lot of those fans did but uh, for a very uh, very specific reason yeah absolutely one thing that they probably don't have uh, FC United of Manchester is the level of absolutely outstanding moments of beautiful football that we have at Manchester United one of the ways we've been able to follow all that this season has been the emergence of my favourite new blog on the internet Beautifully Red uh, which is at beautifullyred.co.uk and we spoke to Sean to get his top three beautiful moments of the season joined now by Sean from Beautifully Red who eagle-eared listeners will remember was on the show just the other day Sean it's lovely to have you back on the show and what better reason to bring you back than to give us your top three beautiful moments of the season yes hello thank you for having me back it's my top three in order that they happened number one 
has to be uh, Nani versus City in the Community Shield. Number two, I'm going to go for uh, Big Dave against Chelsea, uh, which turned his season around. And finally, I'm going to go for Tony V versus Blackburn, not just for the goal, but it gave us some belief, the celebrations, his smile in the interview afterwards. I think that all uh, all adds up to something pretty beautiful. Yeah, that those little two words or one number repeated twice, 50-50. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was a brilliant interview and the smile just topped it off. Absolutely. So basically what you're saying is number one, beautiful moment of the season, Antonio Valencia smiling. I think so, yeah. We, we might as well, aren't we? As there's no silverware, we'll give it to uh, his smile. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Sean. No worries. By the way, if listeners want to check any of that out, if you go to beautifullyred.co.uk, you'll find all of that in GIF form. And I understand you're running some sort of beautifully read, beautiful moment of the season vote. Yes, there will be eight, maybe ten options that uh, you can have a vote on and we'll see if we can get a nice winner. See if it is Tony V smile that's chosen by Twitter. Brilliant. Um, I, I, my votes for that Community Shield goal, that was that was something else. But of course, my overall beautiful moment of the season has been the emergence of Beautifully Red. So check it out at beautifullyred.co.uk. Excellent stuff. And yeah, I, I really love that matter save. Absolutely love it. That's that's his number two, but might might just be my number one. We've had a question from at will underscore lum. Best podcast closing song of the season. Well, I, I thought I thought it was my Dutch rapping when uh, we we played Ajax. Actually, I thought it was top top quality stuff. That was definitely definitely worse than anything I've sung on the podcast. Definitely. Uh, I've got I've got two. One, I'm pretty sure we've played out with Flame On by Awate at least once this season. Oh, that might have been last season. But if it was this season, that's definitely mine. Otherwise, mine, I think, is, is Elbow One Day Like This. That's, that's a, a, a song I associate with Manchester United and really love. But it's always nice to hear that song which has Gary Pallister's name in it because not enough pop songs mention Gary Pallister. Uh, there's very few. It's a rarity, you could say. At Coombison uh, says that the United meme of the season has has to be the gurning face of Phil Jones. I don't think there's going to be too many people arguing with that. Remarkable range that he has. Really very remarkable. More skin than he needs on his face. That's the reason for it. That's yeah. definitely why it happens. Yeah, yeah he's, he's going to look like Popeye when he's older. He already looks like Popeye now. At Doran Solomon suggests that the tweet of the year by a footballer was Rooney's recent tweet to Piers Morgan, which we, we won't read out loud because there's no way of saying it and maintaining your clean tag on iTunes. But I will say he's wrong. Clearly the tweet of the year by a footballer. And in fact, my my vote for United meme of the season. Every time Danny Welbeck scored, you could guarantee that there's at least four or five people who would retweet the my boy Welbs zup zup say nada <laughs> tweet from Ravel, which is my tweet of the season. Very good. Talking talking of tweets, apparently Rio Ferdinand believes that he's been bent over, made to grab his ankles, and the FA have used no lube while shafting him. Yes, uh, he has favourited your incredibly graphic and unpleasant tweet there, Ed. Very very odd, very odd behaviour from Rio. But yeah, there you go. Obviously, obviously caught a moment in Rio's life. The, the thing is about it, which I like, is is he didn't retweet it because he can't really do that. You know, he just quietly added it into his favourites to hope that some people would pick up on the fact that that's how you had articulated extremely well how he felt about the moment I think yeah I think when you've got two million followers uh, you can't get away with that and it not be noticed yeah and talking of Duran he's a, a person who covers a lot of uh, stuff about the academy and reserves and I certainly don't give that the attention 
that I would need to to speak about it in a really educated way on the podcast. Seven Cantona's podcast does an excellent job of covering all levels of United. And of course, I know, Ed, you, you watch a lot of the youth team and the reserves. But I asked Oren about the season that they've had at those two levels, and this is what he had to say. Joined now by Doran. Um, Doran, I was about to start listing your credits, but I was just going to say I'm joined by Doran from Twitter because you're you're an important fixture of my Manchester United supporting life. Your Twitter account is. That's a very, very um, embarrassing thing of you to say, Paul. Um, I was going to say Doran of Twitter because there aren't any other Dorans that you follow on Twitter, and I've I've not come across one yet. But um, thanks, I guess, for that. Where where can people find you on the internet in general, Doran? So yeah, my, most of my ramblings come on Twitter, but other than that, I like I like to to write the odd thing on Stretford End, uh, Stretford-End.com. They've got a Twitter account as well, and then uh, more recently. I've been putting the odd piece on the Huffington Post, which is quite nice. But I'm on Facebook and I, I curate the Stretford End Facebook page. One of the things that your Twitter account is invaluable for is coverage of the Academy and the Reserves. Uh, let, let's do these one at a time. Uh, what kind of season has it been for the Academy? Uh, it's been one of learning, really. Um, we had a lot of first-team scholars join them this year. So obviously last season we had the fantastic FA Youth Cup winning side, and most of them being second years at the time have now progressed up to the reserves. So there was a, a whole raft of new players joining that that age group under Paul McGuinness. And most of them physically were quite small. Um, so the season started with them getting bullied by quite a few teams and literally, I know it's a bit of a football cliche, but played off the pitch. As the season went on, they realised that actually technically they're quite good and they can outplay a lot of the teams they come up against. So in the FA Youth Cup, which they, they took seriously, they got to the, final, uh, the semi-final of the competition, in fact, where they lost over two legs at Chelsea, but they had a fabulous cup run um, including a, a huge win away at Swansea and a last minute a 97th minute goal at home to Charlton in the quarterfinals in the league they didn't do as well they came mid-table and they, they went from about November through to April without a win but obviously the academy rules dictate that you have to shuffle the players around and ensure everyone gets them um, as much game time as possible so it's as much about development as opposed to winning at that age but a strange season but a good one nevertheless some good football played and and there are some very talented players in that age group Matt Starley won the Player of the Season award at the United Awards uh, the other night. Is that your shout as well? It probably wouldn't have been. I think Matt's deserved his award in that obviously the coaches feel that he was their young player of the year. I think Matt's had a very, very strong 2012 as other players got injured. I thought he started quite slowly. He was one of those that was almost a little overawed by coming up against bigger players. I probably would have gone for either Luke McCulloch or Tyler Blackett. Luke's the captain. Both of them are second years. I thought Tyler at left back had an exceptional season going forward and defensively. I just think with Tyler, he needs to believe in himself a little bit more. I don't think he realises quite how good he is. As for Luke, big guy, wins everything, but equally comfortable on, on the ball and um, yeah they both have very good seasons the reserves of course won all before them pretty much didn't they yeah they've had a fabulous season who have your standout performers been quite a tough one because so many players have dropped down from the first team and you know, a few have come up from the academy but I think uh, I think Michael Keane who won reserve player of the year was um, a very very he definitely deserved it he was incredibly consistent and he's moved in from right back to centre back this season he looks he looks much more comfortable there and in fact he used to play there as a, as a schoolboy for United but as he's grown and as his physique has got bigger he's got much more belief in himself and obviously that time at right back has, has definitely helped him to improve when he's on the ball so 
he's not just good at bringing the ball out of defence, but he sees the right passes to play. He's had a really consistent um, year, uh, pretty much never present in the side. Could have been any one of five, really, who won that award. I know Larnell Cole and Jesse Lingard were nominated, but William Keane's got 18 goals in the season, and um, David Petrucci has had a very good season as well, um, coming back from injury. He's been injury-free for, for a whole year now and has been superb. Anyone you think is going to make a big impact on the first team next season out of the reserves this season? In a, in a word, no. That's not because they're not talented, but I think they've still got learning to go. I think most of them will probably go out on loan. I think that'd be the sensible decision. I th- uh, if we're looking for any to step up, I guess Will Keane, depending on who which strikers leave the club and if we sign any other strikers, he could be fourth choice. I think I'd prefer him to go out on loan. Other than that, in terms of the players who've been out on loan, some of them could if Fergie deems him good enough. I know Ollie Norwood has done very well, although I'm still on the fence with him, but I think um, you know, he's certainly been involved in the first team recently in terms of training, and I know he's got a new uh, contract uh, offer on the table. Um, but I don't think I'd expect many to, to join the first team group next year, not yet anyway. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much indeed for joining us on this end of season Rankcast Spectacular. We're probably not allowed to call our own show Spectacular, but everybody follow Doran on Twitter. It's a terrible mistake if you're not doing exactly that already. Thanks, Paul. I think um, I, I'm allowed to call your, your podcast spectacular, and it certainly is. Thanks for having me on. All right. Um, what's your Twitter handle, Doran? It's, at, it's my name. It's at Doran Salomon. So thank you very much indeed for that, Doran. Uh, we've had uh, one, uh, a vote for a category. Most tedious saga. Is it Schneider? Is it Pogba? That's from at Coombison again. Pretty tedious, the both of them. And uh, they've probably gone on equally as long now. I think, I think we've dumped the Schneider one finally. Uh, I, there's been very few newspaper stories about it this summer because uh, no one believes it's true at all so yeah that was very tedious last summer and Pogba has been going on for about six months now hasn't it yeah so that, that will be done shortly too of course uh, you can throw Ravel Morrison in there that was a saga for a while wasn't it and uh, uh, were strange stories going around this week that he might be released by West Ham at the end of the season yeah so sad about, apparently that's not true but who knows that, that's a saga for another club to worry about isn't it at Man United 24 asks us what we think the best United blog ending bafflingly with the number of 24 of the season is well yeah i think it's uh, rant 24 the little known uh, no no i i guess it's got to be man united 24 it's almost like he invented a category in order for us to give him an award i don't know how he would have done that talking what does the 24 stand for that's what i want to know it, i always thought that he was a big fan of darren fletcher but he has made this very clear it's not that it's about the fact that it's manchester united 24 hours a day that's where it came from originally but yeah not, not nothing to do with the boy fletch darren came back to us with best non-assisting pass that should have been an assist of the season and he suggested Carrick versus Bolton I hope that you can all picture that in your mind's eye but it was the through ball to end all through balls which Danny Welbeck somehow managed not to put in the back of the net bent it round about six Bolton defenders and took them all out of the game yeah fine fine moment some great individual moments this season even if it hasn't been a classic United season and Valencia's goal was voted goal of the season by United supporters and he also won player of the season voted for by his fellow pros and by the fans but I, I think we had a quick chat about this a few weeks ago didn't we and we're sort of pontificating about some of these things I think my favourite goal of the season is still the one in the charity shield so late on in the charity shield to to 
get United back into the game and to all and before United won it dramatically and just a wonderful ticker tacker one touch team goal that promised so much and oh, of course that died away in, in with cleverly and Anderson's injury uh, the multiple many of them but uh, that's probably still my favourite goal of the season an absolutely glorious goal but completely magical not just ticker tacker but two behind between the legs or behind the legs passes just it, two in the same move unnecessarily beautiful goal that was and on the subject of goals at the end of every episode of the Can They Score podcast uh, one of the guests has the honour of describing their favourite goal so one of my favourite guests from the Can They Score podcast is at Tom Patterson we spoke to Tom about his favourite goal of the season so in tribute to the Can They Score Favourite Goals feature I wanted to ask you Tom what's your favourite goal this season? Well I was torn as usual I was quite tempted by Nanny's stunning goal in the Community Shield to our second goal in the link up with Cleverly but I've, I've gone for significance over actual tactics and skills and I've gone for gigs against Norwich not the prettiest goal sort of stuck in with the side of his foot after a ball in from Ashley Young but on his 900th appearance that kind of thing that Ryan gigs in his time at Manchester United it's just what we do and I think for an explosion exhilaration of, of pleasure and enjoyment and adrenaline that only really Manchester United managed to give as a football fan, I think that was a perfect moment. So for me, Ryan Giggs, winning goal at Carrow Road. Yeah, it's hard to argue with the moment when Giggs put the ball in the back of the net against Norwich and the crowd went absolutely ballistic. Felt like we were going to be champions, Ed. It did, so long ago. Uh, gigs went mental. I hadn't seen him go that mental for, for many a year. Um, there was some real passion there. Sean at Expert, who we heard from earlier, says the best header of the season. And he just linked me to an animated gif of Nemanja Vidic destroying Leon Osman and about 27 other people that weren't even there with a header of such force and power and determination that somewhere in the world that ball is still flying through the air. Have it. it! It was like Michael Jordan doing a slam dunk from the halfway line except he was heading a ball he, he he seemed to never come down as he flew through the back of Osman and incidentally took the ball at the same time yeah absolutely not like Michael Jordan in real life either Michael Jordan in like NBA Jam or something who travelled for an absolutely unfeasible amount of time so go on then Ed your player of the season is Michael Carrick your goal of the season is the, the goal in the community shield and I kind of want to give Tony V my player of the year but I can't I've got to give it to Carrick out of sensibleness and I can't disagree with you about goal of the season either although honourable mention to Ashley Young for his three or four identical goals in the shortlist for goal of the season he, he really loves to cut inside and to curl an absolute peach into the top right hand corner doesn't he yeah I, I think the one against Arsenal was the best of those uh, having uh, reviewed them all and, and finally I mean I don't know if there's a category for these awards or not just just the moment and it followed uh, months of unpleasantness with Patrice Ever and obviously he was racially abused at Anfield by Luis Suarez and then there was a whole drama about the, the hearing and the result and then United beat Liverpool after having lost to them in the FA Cup a couple of weeks previously and, and Ever went mental in front of the Stretford end and incidentally Luis Suarez an awful lot of pressure and passion came out in that moment absolutely totally and utterly glorious because my my worst moment this season was not the 6-1 defeat at City and honestly it wasn't even the City winning the league with the last kick of the game which it probably should have been and my worst moment of the season was that game against Liverpool uh, and how ugly it was that and, and the time that the Chelsea fans booed Rio Ferdinand just the, the, the sheer vitriol and ignorance on display you know it was heartbreaking and to see that 
moment of redemption, of, you know, triumph on the sporting field, that the whole build-up with the handshake before the game and the, the, the rage, the fact that Patrice ever decided he was going to take it out on Rio Ferdinand by accident, sent him spinning round and smashed his head into the floor, which is quite good because otherwise they'd both have been sent off, I think, for double-teaming Suarez in some horrible WWF wrestling move. But yeah, just the the redemption, the fact that we won that game, the triumph of good versus evil. It was a heck of a moment and it was brilliant to see Patrice going justifiably mental. Yes, I think so. Uh, aside from being vindicated, of course, yeah, talked about Dalglish being sacked. I, I would put a large amount of money on Suarez not being at Anfield after the summer. Yeah, no, I guess it depends who comes in, doesn't it? Um, but but there's a there's a pretty good chance of that. I, I think the owners would like a clean slate. Oh, but I mean, he's, he's their best player. No, no, surely, surely not. Andy Carroll's in the England squad. He's got to be the best striker in the country, surely. I'm really trying to put off talking about the England squad as long as possible. So go on then, Ed. What was your, your apotheosis? What was your lowest moment of the season? It's got, it's got to be a bit of a cliche, but it was losing 6-1 at City. Aside from the, the moment that Aguero slammed the ball into the net after those 28 minutes of agony against Sunderland the other day. Yeah, the, the 6-1 was horrible. Uh, and another one that was a real, real low was the match against Blackburn Rovers on Boxing Day when United were just abysmal. Yeah. Just truly, truly abysmal. And at that moment, it looked like it, the the wheels had truly fallen off and, and United were going to go nowhere in the season. There was a huge amount of injuries. Points were being dropped. Everyone said City were going to run away with the title. And the, the financial results were terrible. And, you know, everything was... It was just a, a period of utter doom, I think. And it kind of culminated in, in being beaten by Blackburn Rovers, who were bossom with a manager that none of the team wanted to play for and none of the fans wanted either. Yeah, that was... That was pretty, pretty rough. The way the team came back from the 6-1, strung a bunch of 1-0s together, totally changed the way they played and just dug it out. It was really impressive. And the way they came back from those results against Newcastle and Blackburn when the, when the injuries took their worst toll. And even the way they came back from the... I mean, we haven't even mentioned... This is supposed to be a season roundup. We haven't even mentioned the, the European situation. United's worst performance in Europe that I can remember since the days when we weren't allowed to play Dennis Irwin because he was considered a foreigner you know it, it just really 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 abysmal failings in Europe in two competitions yeah I mean it kind of all, all merges into one ugly mistake doesn't it United's European campaign and actually I think unless we don't buy anyone of any quality whatsoever in the summer I think there's almost no way we can't we can fail to have a better European campaign next season I hope that there wouldn't be so much conceit I mean it, it was obvious I mean it's from the first match onwards and United were in good form they'd uh, won what you know four or five on the spin in the Premier League before playing Benfica and, and Ferguson made it like six changes to the side and completely disrupted the rhythm got away with a one-all draw there but it seemed to happen with every selection didn't it and almost felt like Ferguson believed that United were going to walk the group I have to say that famous podcast famous infamous podcast where uh, I said that we'd win all six games as well so I, I guess you know that that one followed through to to the management and the team as well and, <laughs> yeah. and they they really they really weren't good enough to play with conceit and and then a different type of conceit with a Europa League campaign where we just didn't care basically and then then met an inspired Bill Bowside who were much better than us over two legs yeah and and I maintain that we were 
right not to care about the Europa League and we definitely wouldn't have sustained any kind of league title challenge had we invested in that. But also I don't know how we would have coped if we'd stayed in the Champions League because we fell apart completely at the seams having to play Wigan once in midweek. You know, we were woefully, woefully under-equipped in central midfield to deal with a two games a week end campaign. It was really interesting actually the fact that both City and United were out of everything by the time the league title was decided. It all kind of really came to a focused point at the end of the season where the league was absolutely everything and and I guess that contributed to how much it hurt for United fans when we didn't win it and they did. Yeah, in many ways, given the selection Ferguson went for, both in the Europa League and previous before that in the Champions League, it was like we threw away Europe in order to to have a run at the Premier League this season. Imagine we were still playing in in Europe. And, Skulls couldn't have played every week, so we'd be rotating Giggs and Skulls alongside Carrick, wouldn't we? Yeah, absolutely, which which worked so well whenever we had to do it. Giggs and Skulls both signed contract extensions, both be here next season. I really, really, really hope that their role is significantly reduced. Giggs, I mean, Giggs' role has been significantly reduced this season, but it's been difficult whenever he has come into the side. And, you know, the summer might do him good, he might have a proper break, but on the other hand, you know, he might end up playing at the blinking Olympics or something. Actually, I think with Giggs, it's not so much the, the physical side. He seems to be in such great condition. He doesn't seem to have suffered in the same way as Skulls has. And I think he seems physically able to play games, although you know, Ferguson's obviously used him very sparingly. I think the quality's dipping quite significantly and but that's got to be physiological right because you know that's got to be about the aging process Uh, it always is but i mean he can he can maintain the the physical aspect of the game the technical aspect has gone that's that's the difference i think yes whereas skulls basically is the technical aspect of football he's like the living personification of what's possible for a human being to do with the football technique you know, um, I, there's a moment that we've not mentioned in terms of glorious moments, and that was the comeback against Chelsea. What a game that was! I mean, fantastic game, and and it, it really gave some life to to United's sort of momentum through the late winter and going into the spring, didn't it? I mean, imagine we'd lost at Chelsea, and and it wouldn't, it wasn't that far after the Newcastle and Blackburn games, and and the cup loss thrown in there as well to Liverpool. That would have been a pretty devastating period, wouldn't it, if if we hadn't got a point out of that? Absolutely, and it had the, the a couple of really nice moments. One that the Chicharito header, which was played in super slow motion a few times on Sky and looked absolutely incredible. And, and when the ball comes to Chicharito, he's on his own in the middle of the six-yard box, and it looks like Chelsea defenders are the most idiotic defenders in the world. And whilst that might be true on a personal level, what had actually happened is he had properly murked them. He had murked them up a treat by stopping his run and then starting it again. You'd think maybe defenders could work out that that was going to happen, but that was an incredible moment. And of course save of the season by a mile Mata basically scored a free kick but then somehow De Gea found a way to reverse time get the ball to come out of the net wipe everyone's memories using one of them things off men in black and then look, make it look like he'd saved the ball because that's the only explanation for what happened yeah, he, he defied physics, didn't he, to, to get that ball out. Great save, and, and it's the save that, that has made De Gea's season and possibly his United career, and he says it filled him with confidence. And, and you know, it's easy to overplay stuff like that, of course. I mean, there's a lot lot more goes into making the United career, but it, it's uh, it's something that gave him confidence at a time when Anders Lindegaard got injured as well, and, and it's really made the back end of the season. I, I imagine those two things hadn't happened. Matter scores that goal, United lose, uh, De Gea 
Gea doesn't get that confidence that Anders Lindegaard still gets injured and then we'd have had a really big problem with the keeper for the rest of the season. And potentially beyond. You know, I mean, not to wish to overstate it, but if he'd had a run of five games in a row after that, because he was real, real shaky in the first couple of months of the season. I mean, really, he really looked really worried at one point. And I think the fact that he sort of spoken about how much confidence that Matagold gives him sort of proves the point that he was really genuinely worried at that point, that he needed that massive confidence boost to make him feel like, okay, I can do this. I can be the Man United goalkeeper. And, you know, one thing I'm not worried about going into next season is the number one shirt. No, not at all. Not at all. I think United have invested very wisely there. I mean, there's you can question Jones and and young for sure there are still question marks but i don't think there's a question mark over De Gea anymore i think we've got a very good quality keeper and really the question mark is at what point does he head back to real madrid <laughs> i mean you you say jones you've been very bullish about jones at various different times in this season are you are you feeling a bit more concerned about that now then well i'm concerned because i think what he really needs next season is to just play in one position and i unfortunately i don't think that'll happen because Ferguson absolutely loves a player who can play in lots of different positions so i think we'll still see james playing center mostly right and sometimes in central midfield he he loves a player that can play in lots of different positions like george from of mice and men loves cute little bunny rabbits it's like it's not a healthy love you know he's perfectly prepared to destroy a person's career because he really likes the fact that they can play in multiple positions i have to say i'm not sure i subscribe to this notion that this is great it's a great part of their education i, I don't know about that I, I i don't know of too many world-class players who play in four or five different positions all the time yeah no and and what happens potentially is that players who could become world-class become instead very useful utility players just look at John O'Shea. Remember him dancing down the wing, nutmegging people all the time. Next, Roberto Carlos. But, you know, Fergie moved him around the pitch and he became the, the next Ralph Milne. No, no, he didn't. No, he did not. You cannot equate John O'Shea and Ralph Milne. That is really, really unfair. Although he did let us down and not chuck the ball in the net loads of times. He managed to get himself injured and subbed off against Sunderland. This was at the point at which City were winning. I think it was just all too much for Shazy. You know, he couldn't bear to see us suffer like that. Yeah, good. Agent Chasey. Re- well really nice moment, the United fans. Perhaps totally unsurprising, the United away fans, given their extraordinary performances at times this season. But the, the blasting out of the Wes Brown song, followed by the blasting out of the John O'Shea song, uh, when you know when everything was all to play for, it was so tense. But they, they weren't going to not salute the, the departed heroes. Yeah, very very nice moment, yes. Uh, talking of departed heroes, and all, earlier also talking about uh, shirt numbers that set up for next season, uh, a great folk hero of Manchester United, a man who scored the last-minute winner in a derby, which surely is enough for any player to go down in legend, has left the club, and I know that you're really sad because you had all your signs ready for your Carrington picket. The number seven shirt's free at last, free at last. Michael Owen's left. Yes, after an outstanding three-year period in which Michael Owen has scored 17 goals in 54 appearances, most of them against pretty average opposition. The I think, in truth, uh, he scored the one goal against any real quality, and, and that was a, a fine goal at that, wasn't it, against City in the derby? And, of course, he got one in the Carling Cup final as well. He's gone away with some medals. Uh, we got, I don't think, an awful lot out of it, uh, except uh, a player who came off the bench now and again uh, for three years and, and picked up quite a significant amount of wages. Uh, a lot of answers going around about he had a pay-as-you-play deal he he did not he was on a very good wage for three years and I spent quite a bit of money on a player that we probably didn't need but but there you go he's gone and you know I I never thought he was I just never thought he was 
very good value because he was always going to spend a lot of time injured and that's exactly what happened a very funny thing today though um michael owen uh, on his official website shows he scored more goals in less games i'm not quite sure how he worked that one out uh, and much in the same way that his his famous brochure got a bit of pr work all over it and i think his uh, his statistics got a bit of pr work and uh, i noticed a few people tweeting about his goals and games ratio at liverpool as well in that same page uh, is inaccurate um he's obviously just hired romario's pr company hasn't he to do that there was a rather cruel piece in the Fiverr, the Guardian's newsletter, uh, saying that Michael Owen has uh, rejected the chance to play in the championship. And that was good because the League One looks much better for him. <laughs> Harsh. Number seven, we're both Team Valencia, right? No question. Well, I think he's earned it. I mean, a few people said to me, number seven's a, a shirt for an icon. And I, I can understand that. Uh, but, but you become an icon by playing really well. And, and Valencia's played really well. And if he is to perform as he has done burst this season through the whole of next season, uh, he'll, he'll have earned it even more. So, yeah, I think, I think that's fair enough. He has, he has a, a certain level of iconic potential, Antonio Valencia does. You know, the, 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 one of the defining moments this season, as, as me and Sean talked about, was that, that smile he finally cracked in his 50-50 interview. Of you. He's, he's a lovely chap, so give him the number seven shirt. At the Manchester United Awards, he he was less equivocal about that and said it was definitely a goal and, and all the players started laughing. <laughs> it was good. It was good. I liked it. Nice moment. You know, great moments that happened this season and the United Awards. Something that I'd completely forgotten about because it seems like such a long time ago now. I guess we haven't really talked about the Arsenal 8-2. That was a, a wonderful, extraordinary, bizarre, glorious occasion this season. But there was a moment at Old Trafford that maybe topped that for glorious schadenfreude when a certain blonde bomb shell dressed in blue was through on goal after beating the keeper with a stunning piece of footwork only to shank the ball half a mile wide incredible scenes from fernando torres at old trafford yes poor old fernando yeah let's hope he gets that no i can't hope he gets the winner i was i was glad he had his little moment in the semi-final of the champions league but but that's enough now fernando you can't you can't have the champions league too guess we can move on from our season wrap up there and we need to talk the summer but before the summer there's a Champions League, of course, and Chelsea versus Bayern. No need for us to really preview it, I don't think. But Barbie supporting Bayern. Obviously. I, I've already, yeah, I've, I've loaded up on various Bavarian beer and uh, might get some, you know, Oompa Loompa girls in to celebrate with me. <laughs> I, I really, really, really don't think you mean Oompa Loompa girls. You mean Oompa Oompa. <laughs> Not Umpa Lumpa are the ones off Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Well, yeah, maybe some of those too. Yeah, let's go wild. <laughs> and of course, Tottenham fans, uh, there's the Bayern Munich Supporters Club Tottenham branch now. Uh, they can only qualify for the Champions League if uh, Bayern win. I think they will, actually. I think, I mean, it's home advantage. Uh, of course, they won't have the whole of the crowd, but uh, I'm sure Bayern fans will find a way of getting a ticket and, and it'll inspire the players. And, and uh, I think they'll win. And uh, I said, uh, I was chatting about this with someone today and I said 2 1 to Bayern. Yeah, I, I've got. I've just got a feeling in my bones, I'm afraid, Tottenham fans. Not that you're listening to this podcast, because why would you? I've just got a feeling in my bones, I'm afraid, United fans, because I can't see there's many of us want Chelsea to win. Got a bad, bad feeling about this. Uh, I, I think Chelsea are going to win, actually. It defies logic, because all Chelsea's best players are out. But loads of Bayern's players are out, too. And Bayern just got absolutely tonked by Dortmund in the final of the uh, German Cup. Absolutely smashed, of course, uh, Shinji Kagawa scored the opening goal and set up another one with Ferguson watching. So, is he coming then, Ed? 
No idea. No idea. Although it looks like he might be relatively cheap. Although I, I have to say, I can't, I can't see Dortmund uh, giving him away. I think that's uh, that's ridiculous. I mean, he's still got a year's left on his contract. They'll they'll get a decent fee for him because there'll be competition for his signature. So uh, I, I have no idea, but he's uh, almost certainly more affordable than Eden Hazard and uh, many other uh, world-class central midfielders that we could be looking for. Well, Eden Hazard is obviously, obviously, obviously going to Manchester City because he said, I'm definitely going to Manchester I'm just not going to say which one yet and nobody that's coming to United is ever going to say that and if they do we should boo them off the ground when they arrive because it's a stupid thing to say and do exactly if you're coming to United you don't cock tease yeah exactly no having said that of course if he does sign for United I'll be like oh yeah we signed Eden Hazard very exciting I'm not above a bit of rampant hypocrisy for the sake of footballing success no, uh, reverse curse of the Rancast oh yeah there you go uh, we're definitely definitely going to win the Champions League next season alright so uh, yeah no I, I will go for for a, I'll go for two-one, but in the other direction. I, I think, I think it's Nando's night, and I don't just mean it's a night where Rio Ferdinand goes to Nando's, because every night is Nando's night. At Coomberson, uh, coming in with another suggestion for an award. Best brand of the season, TC23. Yeah, not sure he's going to win any branding awards from the National PR Awards, if, if such a thing exists. No, no. Get yourself fit, son. Play some football, and then, then you can go off with your fancy branding shenanigans. Uh, of course, Paul Pog was never going to be able to do that, because he would be PP. Uh, it doesn't... It's not good brand identity, I'm not sh- I don't think. No, no, certainly not. Okay, uh, look, comedy award of the season goes to Roy Hodgson's England squad <laughs> for the European Championship. Uh, could, could uh, I have to say, we, we spent uh, last week or whenever it was praising Hodgson, saying he was, you know, it's right. forward-thinking choice by the FA, he'd be interested in grassroots development and uh, all levels of the game, not just the England squad. He's a man of, of, you know, experience and many cultures, and then he picks the most English squad you could possibly pick. And, yeah, no, I know they're all English before you, you know, you pipe up. But could the picks be more stereotypically English? He's clearly going to those championships just to grind out some results and and hope that by lumping it forward to Andy Carroll that uh, England managed to score a goal at some point, somehow. The non-selection of Rio Ferdinand is a disgrace. It's a dis- It's a national disgrace that John Terry is going to these awards. And I promise you with my heart, all my heart, I would be saying this if I was a Chelsea fan. It's It's absolutely despicable and the fact that it's resulted in Rio not going instead of him because Hodgson somehow thinks that for footballing reasons it's better to have John Terry there than Rio Ferdinand is a joke of the highest order. And I know a few of the press picked up on a, a, a line that Ferguson said in a recent interview where he said uh, F- F- Ferdinand can play every four days. Uh, it's clearly nonsense and he said that after uh, knowing that Johnny Evans needs uh, an ankle injury and Chris Smalling's done his groin will be out for most of the summer and, and we had word that Vidic won't be able to make the summer tour so there's some politics behind this Fergie didn't want Rio to go because two weeks previously he was he was praising Rio and saying what a great season he had and how he definitely should go to the European Championship <laughs> so uh, look, you know let's not pretend it's uh, it's something that it's not Fergie is never one and never a fan of international football when there's Manchester United expediency in the way is there is he so uh, that's what that was all about and Ferdinand's had a fine season uh, he's experienced He's, he's always been a classy performer at international level. John Terry gets found out completely all the time. And aside from the fact that he's an odious c**t of the most c**t nature um, and, and shouldn't be seen in a, you know, a national shirt or any shirt uh, unless it's, you know, 
orange or striped and has handcuffs all over it so i, I said it on twitter I, i'm not going to follow this england side I, for a moment there hodgson hodgson was appointed and he appointed gary neville as a coach i thought i can almost support england again but no no sorry i i uh, i put i put the word out and i asked who should i support and and about 90 percent people came back and said ireland i suppose that's probably to do with who follows me but uh, i guess i'm putting my support behind ireland and the beautiful game this summer clearly reverting to the other 50 percent of my national heritage and uh, enfin bonjour Patrice Evra la 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 les croissants le café comment vas-tu allez les bleus tout ça et tout ça Zinedine Zidane et tout ça et tout ça uh, so I'm, I'm supporting the Frenchies with uh, many apologies to our Irish listeners for my terrible betrayal of, uh, of the good people of Ireland by supporting the French but it's not my fault that's where my mum's from can't do anything about that well you probably could <laughs> Um, and of course, Patrice, you know, Ali's... Adoptamum.com? No, I would never do such a thing. A, ter- a terrible suggestion. I, I, I love Patrice Evra, so I'm very happy to support his national team, even though they've treated him abysmally. <laughs> but, you know, he still gets in the team with the crazy racist manager and all that stuff. But, you know, it's good enough for Patrice Evra, it's good enough for me. I'm supporting the French. But, yeah, the, 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 the non-selection of Michael Carrick is obviously insane. I mean, it's... it's Basically, Skulls and Carrick should have been England's midfield. I will accept that Skulls may have struggled and also you might have struggled to pry him away from Alex Ferguson's cold dead fingers as he tried to stop him going to the heroes but you know the the, the non-inclusion of Carrick the fact that 10 years on from World Cup 2002 Lampard and Gerrard are still in the same squad me and you were talking on the phone yesterday you said well I think he might play Gerrard out wide I know, I know. It's it's really bizarre. I, I can't see England doing anything. I think they'll lose to the French and draw against Sweden and Ukraine. And they'll the be big out. question is, of course, why hasn't he taken Darius Vassell? If he's going to like just go for 2002 all over again, who's in the Trevor Sinclair role? Where's big Danny Mills? These are the compelling questions of our time. Heskey's probably looking for something to do this summer. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm genuinely slightly shocked he's not in the squad. And uh, I know expectations are uh, rock bottom, so uh, it won't be surprise a surprise when when they are dreadful. But it is going to be yeah, really bad. Yeah, it's going to be pretty bad. If you're a big England fan and you really think there's a chance, you might want to just like just flick through a couple of matches of Spain or Germany's national team and uh, see what you think after that. Well, it's just it's not just the quality. I mean, they're clearly going to play it fairly direct as well I mean there's 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 no creativity in central midfield at all there's nothing I mean they're all functional Gerard is a pretty functional player these days Lampard doesn't burst ahead, ahead of the ball anymore Milner extremely functional they're all and functional massively dysfunctional at the same time ironically so there you go it's, it's not- talking of irony Theo Walcott's family said they won't go to Ukraine for fear of racism well yeah of course John Terry's in the squad <laughs> yeah you've been working on that one haven't you that's a that's a crafted little work that is so I guess that's that brings us to the actual end of season three of the Rankcast. We're going to be back in the summer with the Euros. We haven't worked out the exact dates, but I think basically every Friday during the Euros we're going to have a show. Then we'll be back on the last Friday before the season starts next season. Honestly, this has this been an absolutely extraordinary season for me and Ed. I mean, it's a real shame that 
it didn't end with United winning the title, obviously. But our listenership has more than quadrupled during the course of the season. By by some metrics, we have about eight times as many listeners as we did uh, at the end of last season. We cannot thank you enough for, for listening, commenting on the website, sending us nice tweets, writing nice reviews on iTunes. A few of you have been extraordinarily generous in terms of donations, which is very much appreciated. UnitedRant.co.uk slash donate. If you want to chuck us a few quid over the summer, we'll spend it on the show, basically. That's that's what the money's gone on so far. The reviews on iTunes are super helpful to us, and anyone that's written us a nice review on iTunes has probably earned us about five or ten listeners uh, each. Anyone that's ever said to a mate, oh, by the way this is a really good United podcast check it out it's just super cool other United podcasts have been really supportive of us a big shout out to the boys at Seven Cantonars Office underscore Monkey and Yoki underscore brilliant stuff and the, the Can They Score podcast nice enough to meet, have me on at Can They Score at Tom Patterson and their rotating cast of guests it's just been an, an absolute treat so we'll we'll definitely be back next season to do this all again and we very sincerely cannot thank you enough for giving us your ears for an hour once a week it's it's super generous and as I've said many times these are the conversations that Ed and I would be having anyway so the fact that people actually want to listen to them is brilliant yeah and uh, thank you for me as well it's uh, it's been great fun lots of hard work we've had some laughs we've had some difficult moments uh, we've come out with no trophies but we've we've come out with uh, a whole season worth of podcasts go back and listen to them all i did get an email from someone the other day who said he just listened to six hours worth of the podcast in a row oh fantastic awesome i don't really want our listeners end up in sporting chance for weird addictions we have enough of them of our own here there's worse things to be addicted to than the rant cast and on that note i would like to leave you in a controversial manner with a big grin on my face singing as I always do from time to time, with a lead-in to what will undoubtedly be... You're not an old coward, you know. (laughs) No, it's true. A lead-in to what I think we've basically officially decided is now the ongoing theme tune to the Rantcast. We've been changing it season on season, but but this this is it now for us, I think. All together now... Now football is a pleasant game, played in the sun, played in the rain, but the team that gets me excited is Manchester United. You got me excited, I tell you. Thank you very much, we'll be back for the Euros and then back next season. We'll see you then.